Hello, everyone, and welcome to Life After the Military, a show completely focused on veterans transitioning from military to civilian life. Our show is powered by Pivotal Moments, a nonprofit on a mission to strengthen mental fitness for all. Go check them out at pivotalmoments.org to learn more. My name is Lee Elias, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend and co-host, Howie Cohen. We are privileged today to have Master Sergeant Darrell Williams with us. Darrell served 20 years in the U.S. Army, which culminated with a tour in the White House Communications Agency. While at WACA, Darrell was a highly respected non-commissioned officer who served additional duties as a vice presidential communications officer and operations officer. In other words, he was directly responsible for providing communications and logistics support for the vice president of the United States. With a strong background in human resources, he currently serves as the chief military human resources for the Defense Information Systems Agency. Darrell is also a master certified life coach and inspirational speaker. He also started Alliance Seminars Coaching as a veteran-owned faith-based organization that provides keynote speaking, certified workshops, and life coaching services to clients. Darrell, without saying, it's a pleasure to have you here. Welcome to Life After the Military. Hey, Lee Howard. Great to be here. It's great to have you here. So as always, man, we're going to jump into the first question, which seems to be similar every episode, but it makes sense. Mm-hmm. As we said, you served over 20 years in the U.S. Army. Uh, we talked about some of the amazing things you did during that time. Tell us how those experiences molded you, shaped you, and, and please share any stories that you may have that might be awesome for our audience to hear. Oh, no, that was great. Um, I've always have had a fortunate career, um, especially surrounding yourself around great people and joining the Army. I mean, that couldn't have been a better thing. I mean, except for, you know, picking my wife to be my um, bride, uh, joining the Army was definitely, you know, highlight of my life, you know, to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself. And then to be, you know, so immense into it that you just so catapulted by just the people around you, the things that you experienced. And like I always tell people, one of the things that got me in the Army was leadership. I mean, that was just one of the first things you saw. And then just, you know, if you paid attention throughout your career, you saw how leadership and just impacted everything. So for me, uh, it was just one of those things where it's like, how do I add this element into every part of my life? Right. So whether it was, you know, first assignment in Germany, second assignment in the Pentagon, and, you know, follow on to the White House Communication Agency, and where you really saw the epitome of leadership, because now you're working with the best of the best. And it's a matter of, okay, what do you bring to this table? It's almost like joining like an all-star team. It's like, okay, you're on this all-star team. What are you going to do to bring value? And for me, I think one of the things that helped me was reaching out to those veterans that were already there at WACA and really just picking their brain, right? Going to the audiovisual guy, like, hey, what is it that you do, right, that makes this thing go? And what is it that I can do, right, whether it was as the operations lead or even basically as the vice presidential lead, to make your job easier? And I always just took that to task. Every trip I went on, I reached out to a lead that I didn't know, and I would ask them all that same question. And one of the things I was known for at Walker was they would call me the training guy, right? Which, which means, you know, we might be in Hawaii and everybody's looking for a time off. I'm like, hey, before we do anything, everybody's going to give some type of training. And they're like, oh, man. I That's just what they you. wanted to hear. Hunter. Right. <laughs> We're in Hawaii. What are you talking about? I said, no, we're still going to have time for, you know, fun. But I just believed in it because what I found was 
there was always that mixture of people on the trip. You had somebody that was kind of new, somebody with their last trip, somebody preparation for what we call it a check ride, which is your evaluation trip, right? To be, you know, able to lead those trips in the future. And I just found that it was common ground. Once everybody got past, you know, okay, whatever. When we all got into the training, it worked, right? The older guys were like, hey, I'm glad you gave us that opportunity because now my young guy can get a little more confidence. The older guys loved it because they were like, hey, this is my last trip. And I always wanted to kind of share some you know, nuggets. So it was just always a win-win, you know, doing those um, training trips. And I just loved it. Hey, Darrell, so, so I would love to ask you this. I mean, you, you, you um, I was there during the Bush 43 administration. So obviously mm-hmm. it was President Bush 43, George W. Bush, uh, Vice President Cheney. Um, so how many times did you go out some, and support, you know, uh, uh, Dick Cheney? Uh, did, did, you, did you go up to uh, Jackson Hole at all? Because that's, if I had this to do over again, man, I cannot believe I didn't do this. I never made a visit at on a, on a VP on a, on a VP trip to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, when he was doing his fly fishing. Yes. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of set the stage here for you, sure, and, sure. and hopefully you did this. But you know, Cheney was is a huge outdoorsman, big mm-hmm. into hunting, big into fishing. So when he was in Jackson Hole, he spent a lot of time fly fishing. So he would be in a boat fly yes. fishing from a boat, and then. The VPCO, the community, the vice presidential communications officer and the medical team and whoever else was supporting was mm-hmm. in another boat floating yes. down the river with, yes, with, with, with Vice President Cheney, right? Did you ever do that? Did it more often than I could have imagined. <laughs> that, had to be, that had to be beautiful, man, right? Now, it's definitely beautiful. Let me set the stage. It's definitely beautiful. However... <laughs> When you're a city guy that grew up in Compton, California, <laughs> and you've never been in the woods that much, except for, you know, the military, um, it definitely adds a whole different perspective. But for me, I love those trips because I knew each of the team members when they went out to those type of trips, you know, I mean, they really looked forward to it. And they, you know, they didn't need anybody that was trying to, you know, make life miserable for them and like, hey, let's get up at five in the morning and do motorcade checks. It's like, no, what's the schedule? Who can be off today? right? Who can come in later? You know, let's just take advantage of this because my thing right. was, we're still in the military. We're away from our families, right? We're going to do the mission. Obviously, the people are more than capable, but how do you create that environment where you set the conditions for success? And that right. was always one of my goals. And if setting the condition for success was, right, giving people more time off, then we did that. And um, yeah, going up that river, I mean, I did so many trips there that it was like, okay, how do I make this one a little bit more interesting? It's like, oh, okay, let's play with the LSE 5. Hey, when we get down to that next thing, let's pull up the LSE 5. When last time you talk to your wife? Uh, it's been a little bit. Let's give her a call. Let's do this test. I want to make sure this thing is good. And that's how we incorporated, again, a lot of the training. We made it fun. We made it interactive. made it meaningful. Because who doesn't want to, you know, check on their kids when you find out that, hey, today's my son's birthday. Um, you know, going up Snake River all day. It's like, hey, man, let's give your 
your son to call, oh, right? That must have been so cool. Hey, it when Darrell's talking about an LSD five, he's talking about a tactical satellite radio. Yes. Um, and and you have so you it, it's battery powered, mm -hmm. and it has a sp a little small antenna, and you have to actually uh, point it in the right direction to acquire the satellite. So just imagine this, right? Yes. It's one thing if you're sitting on the ground where you're stable, but you're constantly moving, which means you have yes. to constantly track the satellite while you're in the boat. So. <laughs> So I'm sure that was a, that was interesting, right? It was. And what was so great was, again, by adding the value to the training, you know, the guys didn't get upset pulling out all the time. Because some guys are like, hey, we tested it before we left. Let's not pull it out until we need it. Well, that's ne necessarily the best strategy. Right. Because normally that's the time when it doesn't work. So at least you feel good knowing that, hey, you know, at um, boat marker, you know, 23, it was working. So we know at boat market 25, gotcha. you know, unless we come across some type of tree or interference, more than likely it's going to work again. Cool. cool. <laughs> Wait, let me well, get this straight real quick, Howie. So you had to point, I'm guessing the satellites in geosynchronous orbit and you mm -hmm. had to find it and just point at it. And that, well, mm -hmm. and that I'm guessing that's in, insanely secure. It's an insanely secure line. Actually, it is. Actually, oh, yeah. it is. Thanks to our military, they you know right. use some special encrypting tools that just right. make it out of this world. But right. again, right. the funny thing is because you know where the satellite is, you know where you're pointing at. But you know, we used to always play a game like, okay, if he's going to make a call, where's he going to do it from? Right? He's going to do it in the boat. They're going to step outside of the boat. We're going to get a little wet. You know, I mean, we would always play these scenario games. Which, yeah, contingency you know, planning, right? What is Absolutely. But I didn't it call it like that. sounds like running a business. That's exactly right. But I didn't call it that because right. I didn't want them to think that we were stressing. It was just more of a fun thing, right? Right. For you. And it just, it just worked. Every time we went there, and it was so funny, we had... Um, you know, certain VPCOs are a little bit more stringent than I was. So sometimes we would do a tag team. Like somebody would take half, right, Thanksgiving to this part, and I'll pick it up a little bit after Thanksgiving to Christmas. And, you know, it was definitely some you know, people out there like, hey, we'll be glad when Darrell gets here because we know we're going to have a little more fun. going to do a <laughs> lot of training, but it's definitely going to be a little bit, you know, less tension. And that was okay. I was known for that. And it's important. Oh important to Ralph to be able to be able to do that. I also just wanted to bring that up real quick because for the non-military listeners that we do have, um, you know, I've heard people say, well, how'd they just give them a cell phone? <laughs> it's just, well, that's not super secure if you're the vice president or the president of the United States. So uh, I always found the work that both of you do uh, to be amazing and fantastic. Uh, uh, and I, I, yeah, I just have this visual of, of all the guys in a boat following Dick Cheney up the river now. It's just, that's a good one. Sorry, Howie. I just, no, that's no. And, and listen, um, I know you're true. away from your family and sometimes during vacation, uh, for, during holidays and stuff, but yes. there are worse places on the earth to be than Jackson Hole, Wyoming, right? <laughs> so. Oh, no. It was <laughs> lots of fun. Even doing like, and also, you know, we had to do the winter trips too, right? Because you right. like to go up there during wintertime. Well, get so some skiing it, in, man. Exactly. So it was nothing for the teens. Like, I'm not, you know, the outdoor person. So I'm like, hey, you guys go ski, right? I got the watch. You know, do what you got to do. Like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, we're, we're fine. You guys train me well. You got your phone number in case something comes up. And that's probably one of the reasons other people like me, because I was just one of those leaders who's like, hey, get your time in. Good right. You, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. That's great. And um, it's just definitely unusual when you have a moose right right in front of the motorcade. Like, uh, hey, how do we get this moose out the way so we can, um, you know, do this OTR off the record movie? <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, that's awesome, man. So, Darrell, I, I, you know, listen, when I look at your, your post-military career, I find that just as fascinating as, as your active duty military career. And I know you work for CACI, uh, a government mm-hmm. contractor, um, and you, uh, you know, I think you did that for about five and a half years, providing yes. government contracting support to WACA in, at the WACA Training Academy, mm-hmm. which, uh, um, which I think was just a phenomenal opportunity for you to take all those things you learned while on active duty. And now you can transfer that to all these young men and women who are coming into the agency mm-hmm. and, uh, and train them to a very specific standard. So, so when they went out on a trip site, we knew that they were trained and could do their job to a certain standard. And that was, that was significant. Yes. Um, and then uh, obviously you, uh, you, you transitioned out of the training Academy and you went up to DISA and worked uh, and you're currently working as a chief mm-hmm. of the military human resources for operations. Yes. So I'd love for you to just share your experiences in these jobs. Um, you know, now you're out of the military, right? So let's, uh, I'd like you to share, you know, how you transitioned from the military to the training Academy and from the training Academy to DISA um, and how you prepared and executed those transitions um, and, and share whatever lessons learned that you can, that our, our audience who are preparing themselves for transition or will prepare themselves for transition, how can they leverage, you know, what you learned in, in that transition process? Sure. So <clears throat> first thing I would tell anybody is it's all about preparation, right? I was planning my retirement about three years before I was going to retire. Uh, Cause I just knew like I was at the 17 year mark. How, how many years, Darrell? At the 17 year mark, I was already planning my retirement. Yeah, well, the, you you are you are the exception to the rule that yes. not many people do that. That's phenomenal. Yeah, and but a lot of that is because again, with my network and always staying in contact with you know members that had left the military and you know would you know reach out to them from time to time. So it got to the point where I was gathering so much information because you got to remember this is old school days pre-LinkedIn, right? <laughs> Stuff wasn't just out there, right? And um, so I was gathering all this information. So as people would come through and, and say, hey, you know, what are you going to do? And I'm going to do this. And they would tell me what they want to do or if they didn't know what to do. I would say, well, you need to go talk to Howie. I think he works <laughs> for this company and you might be interested. So I found myself those last three years, it was really great. I was preparing other people. So it wasn't just me gathering information for myself, but I was just loosely sharing it. Right. Talking over things, going over people's resumes. So by the time they went to tap, I mean they were ready. Right. It was just a matter of getting those other little things. Um, so I remember when I got ready to retire, people were like, "What are you doing? You're flying on Air Force Two. You can do this for another two more years, right? Why would you get out now?" And my philosophy, even to this day, is you know those type of assignments are rare. You know, it's only so many people that can get into those types of roles and. I was always cognizant that unless I move, someone else cannot get into this role. Wow. I, I just always felt that way. And uh, I just wanted to make sure somebody else had that opportunity. So that's why I retired right at 20. Wasn't a thing. I didn't have anything planned, didn't know where I was going, but I just, you know, trusted, you know, that I would find something. Now, funny thing is when I first got out, I set up, you know, my little speaking business, just something local. Where I just wanted to give back, you know, because you growing up in Compton, a lot of people think that, you know, that's there's nothing else after that. You kind of trapped in those environments. So I just wanted to give back and you know let other uh, students know that you never know what your journey is going to look like, right? So once I set that up, then it's like, okay, time to find a job. All right. So this is about February. 
and uh, making calls, all those people, right? All these great people that I've pointed to. It's like, hey, Howie. It wasn't Howie. This is an example. Hey, how how everything going? And get ready to transition. Uh, what do you guys got? And it's like, oh man, everything's dried up right now. I wish you would have called me a month ago or two months ago. So I say that for the veterans to realize that sometimes it's about timing. Yeah. Right. True. It's not that anybody's not doesn't want to call you back or they're ignoring you. I mean, there's just nothing there sometimes. And that happened for me from February to May. And for wow. some people, you know, you would say, well, that's only a couple of months. But when you get that last check on 28 Feb, <laughs> it seems like so that levels go up a little bit, huh? It does. It really does, right? Yeah. And I was in such a habit of routine, right? I would still get up in the morning, right? Just like I was going to work, walk my wife to the car, give her a kiss, and then go right back in the house and start applying for jobs, man. Just did that for months. And the thing I want to make sure the veterans understand is you got to stay persistent, right? You got to persevere because it can get um, stressful, it can get overwhelming, you can feel like giving up. But one thing I always tell transition members, finding a job is a job right that's a great point it is i mean that's all you're doing and until you get that offer letter and you sign it you know you don't stop you just keep going and interesting story again never burn bridges right made a phone call i thought i was calling dissa with the wrong number they transferred me to who they thought maybe the job was advertising the phone call goes to the training academy one of the radio technicians that I used to work for answers the phone. I'm like, um, is this Leanne Miller? And she's like, who in the heck are you? And how do you know my name? And I'm like, you sound familiar. This is Darrell. You know, we used to travel together and say, oh my gosh, how's everything going? I'm like, hey, just looking for a job. You know, they gave me the wrong number. Come to find out they were looking to hire someone to train operations leads. And by that time, I was the vice presidential lead, so I hadn't done that in a while. But like how he said, I kind of wrote a lot of the um, SOPs back then that had not changed, you know, over drastically. So she ends up saying, hey, you want to do this job? I'm like, sure, I can do it. Um, what do you do? She said, hang on for a second. Gets David Cole on the phone, right, the, the program manager. I get the interview over the phone. He's hitting me all the different questions, and I'm going back and forth. Luckily, right, I've been practicing for these three years. So by the time he's asked me the questions, it's just a matter of which one and what format. And believe it or not, he hired me right there on the job, over the phone, right? So now I'm like, okay, now I'm starting all over. I got to get in here and prove that, you know, it wasn't a mistake. And I'm really like just going at it and just, again, trying to bring that value to the training academy. And like Howie said, it was just one of the best jobs because, again, you get to do all these neat things. You bring all these tricks, add them into the training. And uh, it, it was just a great time. And one thing Howie will know, sometimes when you're going against a lot of tradition, it's kind of hard to break through. So there were some people that thought the training academy was not as important. They thought you get your best training on the when you're on the actual trip, which is true to a certain degree, but sometimes that's not the time that you want a young AV lead to make that mistake. Right. You would rather to do it in a controlled environment and build up their confidence, right? So one of the great things I loved about the academy was, you know, just with any job, there is like what the manual says, and then there's life experiences. So we would share a lot of life experiences and all these different tips. 
And it was so funny because when our academy students would go on the road, when it came to troubleshooting, they were immensely talented. It was like, wait a minute. Well, you prepared remember, them for that, right? Absolutely. And the unknown, right? So after a while, it was so funny. We were here to get these phone calls from leads saying, hey, can you guys put together some sessions for refresher courses? Because we love what you guys are putting out. These guys are coming out the box ready to go. So I just thought that was just a great honor that they saw the value and they we had to create new trainings just because they wanted refresher training. Right. Right. And then transferring from there, um, great, great friend of mine, Command Sergeant Major Sam Watkins was over at DISA. Who happened to be the, the, the most senior non-commissioned officer in yes. WAPA when I was there as a deputy commander commander. So, I mean, this guy, I mean, drill sergeant of the year. Yes. Uh, this guy was yes. an absolute exception, well, is an yes. absolute exceptional man in every every way you can you can possibly describe it. Yeah, he is. He is definitely one of my biggest mentors, you know, he called, you know, we say we're colleagues now, but I still just look at him as a mentor. So he was already working at DISA and said, hey, you know, the headquarters is going to be moving from Fort Myer, Virginia to Fort Meade. And there's talk that a lot of people are not going to make that move. If you're interested, you may want to do it. I'm like, hey, if, if a Sergeant Major says you think you can do a job, then you know who am I not to put in for it, right? Especially um, Sam Watkins, right? Absolutely. So, you know, definitely put in for the job. But I want to make sure I point this out to all our transition members. The first job I applied for, um, it was for a civilian human resource person, right? I was military human resources. Sometimes in military, we think what we do can easily transfer over. In some cases, they can, but there are those situations where technically it may not to the degree that you believe it should. So I remember going to my first interview, and um, after I got halfway through the interview, they were asking me questions that I had no clue about labor law, employee relations. I mean, I know a little bit from the military side, but definitely not the civilian side. So I'm, I'm, I'm still claiming that I'm the only one in the history of interviewing that actually stopped the interview and said, you know what? I think it's probably best that we end this because I don't think I'm the best person for what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. I actually told them that. And they were like, are you sure? Like most people kind of just fluff their way through it. I was like, no, 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 no. Whoever's going to take this job, they're going to be civilians depending on them. And I could not do that with a straight face. And the train up time would just not be worth it. Sound like you need somebody that's coming through the door, ready to go. And I respect that. You know, Darrell, I want to I want to jump in here because sure. there's there's a really good theme to what you're saying. And it's something that I find of military members is, you know, what you're describing to me is just a lack of ego in a great way right? Where you're not just there to try and get the job. You mm -hmm. want to make sure you're the right fit for the job. And I find this that both in the military and the civilian world, uh, that's an important lesson, right? Um, so many people feel like, oh, I have to have this job, a job. You have to have the job that's right for you. It's yes. one of the great fallacies, I think, that's out there right now is if you're not a good fit, you're going to be miserable. <laughs> you know, why would you want to do that, right? So uh, I don't think there's anything wrong. I think, you, I think you're right. It's extreme minority of someone who would stop a job interview, but yeah. the, the, the idea of like, look, this isn't about my ego, right? I want to make sure that I'm the right fit for you. Uh, you know, and obviously listening to your military experience, you, you operated the same way when you were in the military as well. There was no ego there, right? It was nope. the team, the team first. Um, I also would be remiss if I didn't quickly share this story. Uh, it's sure. a civilian story, but you made me think of it. 
um, when I was searching for jobs after college, right. Uh, which is a very tense time. You know, you just got this degree, this piece of paper mm-hmm. and like, now you have to go work. Right. And um, I wanted to work at the NHL. I love ice hockey. I wanted to work awesome. at the NHL. That was my dream and my goal. Right. Well, I interviewed at the NHL. I interviewed with teams and they kept turning me down. Right. I, I, I say mm-hmm. it like that. I remember thinking like, man, what do I got to do? But <laughs> I was persistent, just like you said. Right. And I'll never mm-hmm. forget this again. This is pre LinkedIn as well. Right. Howie, I'm not calling myself old. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, the internet was there, but this is pre-LinkedIn. I was working at a local ice rink and uh, I was walking by someone's desk and there was just a business card there, person's name at NHL.com, right? Love no it. idea who this person is. Uh, I just, I wrote the name down. I went home. I literally wrote an email. I think it said something like, I don't know who you are. This is who I am. I saw Mark. your email. I just like, I really want to work at the NHL. Guy called me. I had lunch. I had a job at the NHL within six weeks. There you wow. go. The, the point is, you just you never know. You never right. know. You can't be persistent enough. Um, right. I think the younger generation sometimes feel <clears throat> feels they're owed something. And the truth is, when you're searching for jobs, you're really not owed a thing. No. Um, and and their job is to pick the most capable, correct person for the job. And you said uh, looking for a job is a job. It is. Uh, <clears throat> best advice I ever got in college: if you're not sending ten resumes a day mm-hmm. minimum. You're not doing the job. If you're not contacting, networking, having lunches, speaking to people, you're not doing the job. And you prepared three years in advance and still had to do that. Um, I, I think you're the first guest we've had that prepared in advance. I, I think almost guests we have said, and their advice is always don't wait to the last minute. Yes. Listeners, yes. now you have someone who didn't. And, and they still tell you, even with all that preparation, it was still a job to get a job. So I just wanted yes. to share those stories because uh, especially for veterans, um, you know, they might think oh, I, you know, it's been two weeks or two months. I haven't gotten anything yet. That's absolutely, normal. it's absolutely it's, normal. Yes, it is. It um, is and, very normal. And if you served, you are better equipped for that uncomfortable feeling than people that haven't served. The military are masters at making the uncomfortable comfortable, if that's the way you say it. So, so true. For the listeners, you can do this. I want you to know that if you're, if you're, if you're jobless right now, just, just stick with it. You'll get it eventually. Absolutely. No doubt in my mind. But I wanted to share that story. You just you made me think of it. And I no, just that's good. A business card on someone's desk after yes. two failed attempts of interviews with the NHL is what got me the job. So I love uh, that. Yeah, thank you. I just wanted to share that. Go go ahead, Howie. I just had to oh uh, sure. No, this is great. I no, I appreciate that, Lee. Um, so Darrell, in, in, in 2017, uh, and what I want to focus on is now the Alliance Seminar Coaching business mm-hmm. that you started. And as Lee mentioned in the uh, in, in your introduction, it's a veteran-owned, face-based organization that provides keynote speaking, certified workshops, and life coaching uh, services to clients. Um, I know that you created, look, and I know the type of person you are. You are mm-hmm. a, you are, look, if you look up the definition of servant leadership, you're going to see a picture of Darrell Williams. I mean, Darrell is put, was put on this earth to help people accomplish their personal and professional goals and is, and is absolutely committed to that. So, um, so I know that you are very focused, you and your wife are very mm-hmm. focused on empowering people to, to live their best their best life and, and live to their purpose. So I, I would love for you to tell our audience more about this organization, what you do. And I'd love for you to share stories about um, how you address your purpose and help others to achieve their purpose. Right. So one thing um, my wife and I did, like I said, we were always serving people when we were in the military. And, you know, even once we got out, we said, you know, we will still find a way, right, to help others. And, um, 
when I was traveling in the military, especially my last couple of years, I was also a youth pastor, right, for church. So I used to bring a lot of military type leadership techniques, training, I mean, just bringing that stuff into regular people's lives, right? Just taking out the regulation piece and all of that and just sticking to the principles. And you started to find out like, okay, this kid is not a bad kid. He's just had some tough times and nobody took the time to really stay in their life long enough to show them, hey, failure is a part of success, right? It's not the end. So after doing that, and, you know, just wanting to help people. So I, again, you got to reach out to mentors and you network. And it's like, hey, I want to start this organization to help other youth workers. That's really how it started, to help other youth workers build strong programs. And, you know, that's when they were like, hey, you got to get certified possibly or, you know, build a website, get some training, all this type of stuff. So I was like, well, I'm already a licensed minister. So there's the certification, build the website. I'm great at networking. So um, just like I did in military, I would reach out, you know, like you said, Lee, here's a guy that's a leader at this particular church, doesn't know me. And I just started connecting with all these different leaders. And it's like, hey, how about we get together once a quarter, right? Share best practices, right? How do we support each other? And they were like, okay, what's your angle? What are you doing this for? You running for this type of office? Like, nope, I've just seen it work in the military and I just think it can work in civilian life. And we just started doing that. And that's when we kind of set up, you know, Alliance Seminars. And one of the other things, I'm one of the few people that worked with his wife and how are you? I love this. You know, when we go through our military career, you know, we always thank our wives, we thank our spouses, like, you know, man, if I, you know, this is like your time, right? I'm out now. And she was like, no, I'm still okay right now. So we can stay in Maryland and, you know, can do. but I still wanted to show just my, you know, respect, my thankfulness for her because I could not reach any of my pinnacles without her, right? So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go into the mindset of whatever we do, whether it's a business, you know, nonprofit, ministry, whatever it is, I want to go in it with her. I want her wow. to be like, no kidding, like my partner, whether she's ready for it or not, right? <laughs> because that's how much I believe in her. Because sometimes our spouses are powerful, but, you know, they humbly take a back seat for our careers. So that was my way of paying it back to her to say, you have a voice. You can help other women. You can help other young ladies. All right, I'm going to work with the guys. I want you to work with the ladies. Oh, and very gonna, cool. Yeah, it is. And we just, we're going to do this thing together. And by the time we switched over from Alliance Ministry to Alliance Seminars, and the reason I wanted to get out of the ministry, because sometimes it just has a connotation like, well, I don't really want to hear about this God stuff, right? I got real problems. So it was like, <laughs> okay, I understand that. So we'll switch to Alliance Seminars and just make sure we have, you know, faith-based strategies and then non-faith-based strategies. And then when I got to the life coaching piece, it was so funny. I reached out to another mentor. I finished my MBA and I called this guy like, hey, Chaplain Crockett, I just got my MBA. I'm good to go. And I'm thinking he's going to give me a pat on the back. And he's like, that's nice. What's next? Hmm. I'm like, are you kidding me? Come on. And he was like, nope, guys like us, we always got to find that next challenge of how do we help somebody? And I was really kind of like sarcastic. I was like, well, you tell me what's next. And he told me that he just got his life coaching certification. And I'm like, wait a minute, why would you get certified as a life coach if you're already a chaplain? It makes no sense to me. But once he started explaining it, I was like, ah, aha moment. 
I want that certification. So again, so what did he explain to you, Darrell? How, how did he, he basically said that sometimes when people know you're a chaplain, again, depending on what they're looking for, they just may not be as in a more listening way because they just think you're going to come at them, you know, a certain way. Sure. And I respect that. And my thing in life, just like in the, in the military, it's like you don't want to seem like you have certain biases, right? Or you're putting your beliefs on others. You're also gotcha. going to be the best neutral leader that you can be. And uh, I, I remember he was like, man, I didn't even know you were a minister, man. Why'd you let me curse around you? I'm like, I don't <laughs> care about that. I care about you. If that's your comfort zone, I'm okay with it, right? And when he told me that, you know, being a life coach just allowed him to still meet the needs of others, right, from a non-faith base, I was like, that's exactly what I needed to add to my leadership toolkit. Oh, very cool. But, you know, uh, but, the, but the other piece of that is, uh, but again, everything I do when it comes to helping people, how can I get my wife involved? So I was like, hey, got this information. There's a life coach training right here in D.C. I'd like for you to go with me. And she was like, are you sure? Like, yeah, well, why wouldn't I? Because that was one of the first trainings that we ever had to do together. Oh, very cool. Right. So it was just a different type of vibe, a different type of thing. And again, if we're going to be doing relationship coaching, it kind of makes sense if I can show that we actually have a strong relationship. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you got to lead by example here. Yeah, right? You got to eat your own dog food, man. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, so Darrell, was, I'm, I'm trying to figure out where I fit in in this because I am the spouse, the military is spouse in my relationship, okay. but I'm the one who wants to do everything with my wife. I, I always also, joke, she's also. five two, but I look up to her. I always joke about that. But no, no, I'm, I'm with you on this because um, right. you're absolutely right about practicing what you preach. And, you know, mm-hmm. um, look, here's the deal. Successful, uh, successful people in the military typically have a spouse that is right there with them. Absolutely. Um, um, you know, again, I was, I was, I, I was privileged, you know, I remember when I, when we went into the military, being a male mm-hmm. military spouse has its own obstacles right. to jump over. Um, but I remember, you know, I was so thankful for that experience yeah. um, and, and the opportunity to serve my wife um, and the others around her. It's funny mm-hmm. because I, I get, I probably didn't realize this fully till we were out of the military um, when she really told me like, oh, there were times, man, you got me through this, which I, I, didn't, I didn't know at the time. Right. I'm thinking right. this is just a stressful time. We're moving to another country, whatever. And she's like, well, Ooh. you were my rock there. And, yes. you know, you know, again, going back to the, the I'm not making this so much about me. I'm saying, wow, I didn't realize that we play that much of a role sometimes. We and do. I think that, um, yeah, my thinking is the same way. I really want to do things with my wife. Right. Mm-hmm. That's the whole mm-hmm. point of having a wife, right. Or a husband is you're supposed to want to be with each other. I don't right. know. I don't know. Different people disagree. Yeah. On but that. working together could be a little bit challenging, right? It can it, be it, yeah. living together is one thing working together. It can be a whole another set of challenges, man. Yes. Well, isn't that what, isn't that what children is? <laughs> I've got two of them. We got to work together. No, it's, that's fair. Um, so Darrell, I want, I want to, as Howie would say, I want to pull a thread on something a little sure. bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we talked about um, obviously coaching certification, which is dives right into our next question. Mm-hmm. So uh, you're an experienced master certified life coach and a member of the federal coaching network. You're mm-hmm. also a member of the department of defense, federal coaching network, mm-hmm. uh, certified workshop facilitator, facilitator, excuse me. So there's, there's no lack of certification. Um, so leaning on the story you just said, told us, some of our audience may be interested in doing some of that type of paid coaching work as well. Can mm-hmm. you tell us how you achieve those certifications? You told us why you got them, but what did it take to actually go out and get them? So the thing with me is, and again, I tell everybody, you have to build your network. You have no idea 
the skills of the people that are around you and the things that they want to share. So one of the things I always work with people and you find out, you know, what's your purpose, right? What do you really want to do? What brings you joy? Because at the end of the day, if it doesn't bring you joy, you're going to always continue chasing something. So I figured out my own personal mission statement, right? Anything I do, right, it's revolved around leadership, purpose, and relationships. I mean, it's really that simple. If it doesn't fit in those three categories, I don't do it. So when it was time for me to do the um, certification, it, was, it wasn't just, okay, I'm a civilian now. I want to get promoted, right? What certification is going to help me with this job? I've never looked at it from that scope. It was always with a broader lens, right? What certification is going to help me with this job, but also which one is going to help me help somebody else? So that's why, you know, I pick, you know, the life coach certification because it fit both needs. I can use this on the professional side. I can also use it on the personal side, right? Um, I got certified as a facilitator. Well, why would you do that, right? You work for the government. You're not in training. But in my mind, I knew that my training background in the military is eventually going to come up and somebody's going to need it. So it's almost like you stay at the ready. So when I was working for DISA, they had an opportunity where you, they have the team they call you do a rotation, right? You go work somewhere for about four months, right? Five months, depending on the agreement. And you just learn a different part of the agency. It kind of gives you a chance to like, okay, now I see why I have to do that. Now I see why they asked for that. So when I did my rotation, I did it with the DISA training um, division. And once we got there, they, you know, they had this, thing called a supervisor symposium. They wanted to do these quarterly events just for supervisors, kind of bring them up to speed. So I just started bringing all that military background and what's the needs of the agency right now? What are these looking for? And started putting all that together. And we put together the supervisor symposium and it was one of the best they had, right? But it was just because, again, one thing I always tell people too, look at how can you meet a need? seems like every time I wanted to meet a need, an opening came up, right? Like you guys mentioned the Federal Coaching Network. When I got my life coach certification, I didn't even know there was a Federal Coaching Network. I just knew that it was something that was gonna help us, right? Somebody had just given this training called um, Leadership Coaching Techniques. And I already had the word leadership in there, so I'm already gonna sign up for that. Start talking to this young lady after class, come to find out she wants to start this coaching program at DISA. I'm like, holy smokes, that seems like a huge task. You know, who's on your team to do this? And she's like, nobody yet. <laughs> I'm just starting to put it out there. I'm like, sign me up, whatever you need. And just started working with her to put this program together. And we started, you know, putting things together, reaching no out to kidding. others. Yes. And now DISA has its own coaching program, uh, about 20 something coaches. Right. Wow. She, she kind of leads the visionary piece. I'm doing kind of like the day to day operational type stuff. I was like, no, no, no. You're the vision person. I need to protect that. Right. You keep visualizing it and then we'll figure out how to put legs to it. And we're thinking we're kind of struggling and trying to put something on the, on the map. And it's not until we started doing these lunchtime chat and choose where we're bringing in other coaches and non-coaches and we're doing demonstrations right how we just role plays that's all we're doing yeah, right yeah yeah 
And people are like, man, this is great. You guys have a great program. And we're like, no, we're only like two years old. We're still trying to put something together. Like, no, no, you guys don't know, understand. What you have in two years, people are still trying to get. Yeah. But I say all that to say that when you start bringing your best to the table, not for self, but again, for that bigger purpose, things can fall into place. Yeah, it, it, this is actually an area that really, really personally and professionally interests me. In fact, I just set a goal um, within the last uh, six to eight months that I want to get my own uh, uh, coaching certification. Um, I, I'm curious who you. Well, listen, we could we could probably talk we'll about talk that. Offline. Uh, yeah, Absolutely. offline. But, I got you. Um, I got I, you. I, this this absolutely fascinates me, and uh, and and I'll and I will tell you, you know, if you speaking for our audience. Uh, can't think of a, a more uh, meaningful way to, for you to bring as, as a transitioning veteran to bring value to uh, an organization, to individuals, because you have, you know, you have been trained and I don't care what service you're in. I don't care what your specialty was. You've been trained in so many ways um, as a leader, as a, as a teammate, as a team builder, um, and there's so much, whether it's your primary source of income yes. or it's a secondary source of income. Um, the reason I really wanted to go down this, this path with Darrell is I think this is a, a meaningful opportunity that some of you may want to pursue. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and you need to know that this man, I guarantee it will make himself available to any one of you oh, who wants to learn more about it and, and get some, some insight or some, some mentoring um, on how to do it. Um, so I encourage you to, uh, to, to take a look at that. Cause I know that could be a great opportunity for, for many of you, you know, absolutely. Uh, Howie, any certifications you get, I need to get, cause you and I are very, very, very healthy comp comp competition. If you know what I mean? I like yeah, I'm, just, I'm just trying to set the gold uh, standard, Lee. Right, you know? The gold standard is here and Lee needs to be right, right behind it a tiny bit. So do anything you tell him, make sure you tell me as well. I'm just, I actually may raise it to the platinum standard. The platinum right? standard. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. You, you know what? This is, what i'm talking about we i shoot a basket he has to shoot the same basket i love that hey one more thing i want to make sure i mention to our transition veterans please when when it comes to the certifications right be careful not to chase a certification make sure it lines up with what you want to do like if you're in the it world right and you want to continue in it right then you want to look at security plus cissp you know those types of certifications if you're not an it person but maybe you're in hr Right. right you want to look at professional human resources, senior professional human resource certification. Um, if you're not sure where you want to go, but you know you want to manage people and projects, then maybe a PMP, right, right, certification. So make sure you match the certification with where you're going to go. And, right. and, and, and listen, I'll throw one more thing, yeah. thing out here as well. Um, and, and before you go out and spend your own money on doing this, I think you have a couple options available to you. One is wherever you go to work, it's very likely that the the organization that you work for may have right. uh, an opportunity for for you to to get um, them to pay for tr- certain training certifications or certain mm-hmm. education, whatever it may be. If that isn't available, then you, you of course you have the nine eleven GI Bill that Absolutely. you can turn to. Right. Right. Um, so so don't. I guess what I'm saying is probably your last resort is to pay for it yourself, but there are Absolutely. options available to you either through your employer 
um, through the 9-11 GI Bill. So leverage those things first yes. before you actually spend your own money on it. Right. And, and I want to extend this as well. You know, we're saying certification, but this totally expands into higher education as well with yes. graduate and graduate degrees. Yes. Uh, you know, one of the best piece of his pieces of advice that I ever got was from my older brother. Uh, and you just echoed it. You know, I was looking to get my master's and I said, I'll probably just get an MBA. He's like, no, focus it. Get something highly focused to what you want to do. Everyone yes. get an MBA. And I, I, that was really great advice. And then, you mm -hmm. know, it was also like, like, and again, you know, I was paying for it in that situation. You want to pay for something you're going to really use. So in addition to certifications, which a degree is, I just want to make sure that, that the audience understands this, this extends itself to undergraduate and graduate work as well. Absolutely. And what I want to say is like on the officer side, you know, obviously you, to come into the military, you, they already have the degree, which is awesome. This message for any um, enlisted member that has not gotten out yet. And I was speaking at a place um, last Friday and I told the group, if there's any enlisted member out there that has not finished their degree, um, I challenge them, do not retire without getting your degree. It's so important. I know a lot of people have this mindset, well, I was in the military, I have an AFSE or a RAID or MOS, so that should be good enough. It's good enough to get you to the table, yes, but it's not good enough to get you across the finish line. And what you don't want to do is realize like, again, uh, people get out of the military, they don't have the degree, and then they realize, well, we're going to bring you in, Lee, but I'm only going to bring you in at 25000 because you don't have a degree. Where if you have the degree, I can bring you in at 45000 or 55000 That's just an example. So I say that, especially to a lot of my enlisted members, do not get out the military, you know, if, if, you, can, if you can help it without finishing up that degree. Obviously, minimum bachelor's, you can walk out there with your graduate degree. That's even better because I always try to tell them um, getting a job in the civilian world, it's just like a promotion board. What separates you That's right. from your contemporaries? And you right. have to look at it that way and leave, like you said, certifications, degrees, experience. Well, they're differentiators, right? Things. So. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and listen, I'll take that one step further, especially if you're looking to go into government, the covering contracting space, right? You know, having done this for eight plus years, typically what happens when you when you're performing on a contract, that they have a job description for mm -hmm. each position on the contract. And so not only are there technical skills, knowledge, abilities that they're looking for, but they're in many cases, some of them have educational um, uh, levels, right? That's right? So 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 um, some may require a bachelor's degree, some may mm -hmm. require a, a master's degree. Now, in some cases, years of experience could replace a certain a, a level of education. But to Darrell's point, if you can create these differentiators for yourself, so have all that experience, plus have the education, whether it's a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, whatever it is, that right. will differentiate you from other candidates, get you a job. And oh, by the way, like Darrell said, you'll come in at a much higher salary uh, rate as well. Um, so that is absolutely superb advice, Darrell. And I really appreciate your bringing that up. Sure. Um, hey, listen, I, I want to also talk about your experience. Uh, you have extensive experience as a keynote speaker, mm -hmm. um, working, as you said, workshop facilitator, um, where you're providing clients with expertise in the realm of leadership, relationships, purpose. Um, and 
I know that you've done extensive research in, in, in these fields, uh, which includes the works of Dr. Emerson uh, Egerich, mm-hmm. Dr. Gary Chapman, Dr. Paul White. Um, and these are some of the most famous relationship specialists in their field. So I would love for you to share with our audience more about the work that you're doing in those areas and, uh, and, and any stories you have of how you, how you help people. So one of the things, um, again, you know, my, again, my, one of my leadership philosophy is, you know, what need needs to be met, right? So a lot of this, again, comes out of you know, serving in the community, right? My wife and I are faith-based and I always tell my pastor, like, you know, wh- where's the need? Where do, where do you need to plug a hole at? That's what I'm here for, right? Yeah. I, don't, I don't care about the title. I don't care about starting my own church in the future. That is not me. All right. I just I want to help people. And one of the things uh, my pastor did was she wanted to start these um, small group Bible studies. Right. Where not everybody comes to the church, but how can we you know, set some things up within the community? And one of the things she asked my wife and I to do to to lead the couples study. So again, you know me, Howard, it's like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I got to do it right. So let's, oh, absolutely. what's the top 10 books out there? Why are there the top 10 relationship books, right? What's relevant? What's not relevant? And we got enough books and we ran this program for seven years, pretty much um, every Wednesday, except for, you know, certain things were going on, took a break during the summer, but for seven straight years, we ran a relationship um, coaching program basically is what it was wow and it was phenomenal because you know I'm the outgoing guy right just man my life is a open book I can tell you all my mistakes well my wife is the opposite she's kind of like if you don't ask I'm not going to tell <laughs> but over those seven years she really opened up and started sharing some things and I and I, I tell you it really changed some lives and she loved the story when we first started the the couple study, right? Um, obviously, different spouses signed up for different reasons, right? I'm signing up because Lee needs help, right? How we signing up because, you know, Mrs. Cohen needs help, but nobody signed up for the right reason, right? It's like, but, but that's okay. We bring it all, right? And I never forget our first week, it was kind of like, they're, um, they were sitting together, but they weren't together. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? And then everybody's, it's like the wise were waiting on me to say, okay, Darrell, go get them. Tell them what they're doing wrong. <laughs> and then the husbands are waiting on my wife to tell uh, the husband, uh, go ahead, tell these wives what they're doing wrong. And when we started going through it, it was like, no, 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 no. This is how we fix self. No, no, I'm perfect. They're the problem. <laughs> I said, well, let's see how that turns out. Let's go through some of these books. Let's go through some of this homework. And I don't know when the breaking point was, but there was just a breaking point where we just came in one Wednesday night and the chairs were a little closer. Spouses are running their hands through their other spouse's hair. Awesome, awesome vision. We're like, I think they're getting it. I think they're getting it. So again, one of those things is, well, if you're in the military, you work for the government, why are you worried about relationships in the community? And what you don't realize is everything is tied to each other. What if the kids of those families, right, were suffering because mom and dad weren't clicking, not because they don't like or love each other. They just don't know the strategy, the techniques, 
that can create a healthy marriage. Mm. So our thing was, if we help the couples, and maybe it helps the kids, which also maybe it helps the community, right? Then also maybe it changes the generation mindset of what they think marriage is and what it isn't. And we just kind of just take it from there. Very cool. Very cool. So listen, I, I, I and I've said this before, I, I am very intentional about who I bring on this podcast and why I bring them on. And, um, and as I think about this, you know, Darrell, I'm, I'm pretty confident so far, you're the first guest that we've had that actually has chosen to work in the government in a government okay. service position, right? And so I'm absolutely confident that there's going to be some amount of our, our listening audience. Sure. Some may choose to go into the corporate world. Mm -hmm. Some may choose to go into the corporate world as a government contractor, um, some don't want to take that what they see as a perceived risk like that. And they want to take a little bit what they think is a safer route. And even though they worked in the military for two years, three years, five years, 25 years, um, they, they choose to go work in, in a, in a GS or, or GS type position. Sure. So, um, so for our, that listening audience that we have that may be thinking about that, I'd love for you to describe the process of seeking government employment, how the GS levels work, um, and how a veteran may receive some preferential treatment for employment selection and opportunity for advancement. Just kind of take them through that, that, that whole kind of GS process, if you will. Absolutely. No, absolutely. So I always share with a lot of transitioning service members, you know, when you're ready to get out, you got to find out again, which, which way do you want to go? Do you want to go the contractor route? Nothing wrong with that. Definitely can increase your salary right away. Come with a little bit of risk. It could be, but you can do that. Some people may want to start their own business. I tell everybody in the military, you can start your own business because of all those great things that you mentioned before, Howie, that we bring to the table. Just a matter of what's going to bring you the greatest passion. And then there are some of us that want to continue just serving the government, right? We just believe in the mission. We believe in what they're doing. And we want to bring those leadership skills there because sometimes they are easily transferable within there. But there is a process, as you said, Howie, and a lot of jobs, not all, but there are a majority of the jobs uh, that are filtered through USA Jobs. So those of you, if you're not familiar with USA Jobs, uh, please look that up after this podcast. Because uh, USA Jobs is kind of a holding cell for a lot of federal jobs. Um, kind of does the work for you. You know, you don't even have to go look for them. You set up an account on USA Jobs and you can set up to the extent where they can send you alerts on different jobs that you're looking for. Now, some of you may say, well, how do I know which federal job to look for, right? Again, you can do your research and find out, okay, I was a, just say a 42 alpha in the military. We type up what is 42 alpha equivalent to on the government sector? Oh, that's a 343 management analyst, program analyst, right? If I was an IT person, right? What is that, 2210? The 391 series. So USA Jobs can help you kind of narrow that scope and realize, okay, now I don't have to put in for every government job, but now I can tailor my search and specifically put in for those jobs. Another good thing about USA Jobs is you have to create a resume. It's not a big deal. When you go to TAP, you're already going to have one. So all you do is you take that information that you put together in TAP and then you transfer it within USA Jobs. 
Now, USA Jobs also has a capability where you can just upload your current resume. There's nothing wrong with that, but I always tell people, be careful because when you're applying for jobs, right, just like if you were in the military, right, a satellite person can do a lot of different satellite types of jobs. So you want to make sure that you tailor your resume toward the job announcement that you're That's going great to. Advice. Um, a lot of people say, well, Darrell, are you trying to tell me to lie? I no, no, no. I am not telling you to lie. I'm saying what you've done in the military can be looked at in a different scope. And that's why there are different jobs that require different things, even though it's underneath a satellite communications umbrella. So I always share with people, even in USA Jobs, you can have three to four to five different resumes. And the reason they give you that option because they know that different jobs require different skill sets, right? So USA Jobs account, resume, uh, set up the filters, right? And then other pieces, you have to get a mentor. There is somebody that you know that has a job in the government. If they're not, you just keep working, like Lee said, and keep asking enough questions. And again, the great equalizer we have nowadays is LinkedIn. Oh my gosh, Lee, if we had LinkedIn back then, no <laughs> telling where changer. we'd be right now. It's right. a game changer. It's a game changer, and I'm not even looking for jobs. I know, <laughs> right? I was, I was talking, I was working with an individual yesterday, chaplain assistant, right? Yeah. And uh, we're going through his resume, and, and he's like, you know, I don't want to do this or that. And once we started going through his resume, I'm like, what theme are you seeing? And he's like, it sounds like I can do an office, because the chaplain assistant, he goes, it sounds like I can do an office manager job. I said, so how about that? I said, do you think there's office manager jobs on USA Jobs? I'm sure there are. I said, right. so, what, so what's the best place to go change that right away? And he immediately got it. I'm going to LinkedIn. I'm changing my title to office right. manager. Right. And then he wants to do organizational development. He put that in there. And um, again, those are type of jobs. They're available in the government. Right. So I always tell people, don't just look for the contractor piece. Look on both sides and see which one happens for you first. Right. And, and, and you know, Joel, so I, I, I uh, mentor a lot of young people getting out of college about job awesome. searches. And, and I know that it's a hard process, especially when you're out of college, because you it's want a tough. job right away. Yeah. And uh, and at that age, if you don't have a job in a month, 16 years has gone by, you know, in your mind. And I yes. get it. Look, it's a really stressful time. It, it can be. But what I say, and I think this advice works for, for people, um, transitioning out of the military too, is this, look, if you're just going to blindly kind of throw your resume out there, which mm. don't get me wrong, there are some, some types of positions where that's, that really is the tactic, but would you hire you? Right. If all you're doing is putting your resume out there. Now, if you take the time to tailor your resume, to tailor a cover letter, to tailor any kind of networking material like that, are you taking the time to call the employer and say, Hey, I just applied for this job and I'm really excited about it. And I just want you to know that. Are, are you are you calling other people within the business? Are you finding the people on LinkedIn that work there? I just applied to work there. You know, mm -hmm. I hear people, I'll be annoying if I do that. Good, be annoying. What's wrong yes. with that? You know, like, yes. like I, I used to have this 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 uh, phrase. I said, do not mistake my persistence for peskiness. Yes. I'm being persistent Great for point. people want to hire people that want a job. All right. Absolutely. So so I would say that like, would you hire you based on the effort you just put out to get a job? And again, I'm gonna say this again. All right. I understand if you're looking for a job, if you're putting hundred resumes out a day, uh, there are jobs where yes, you just send them your resume because that's, that's the nature mm -hmm. of the application or it's the nature of what you're applying for. But if you really want something, show the employer that you really want something. Um, I've exactly. said this on this show before, and I am, I am insanely fortunate as an entrepreneur 
and as a business owner. But every person that works for my companies has found me and pursued me to get a job. And I'm telling you, as people out there looking for a job, that was massively impressive to me when someone says, I want to work for you. I have people working for me that I did not have a job available for them. Mm-hmm. And they were so persistent. And then they volunteered. That's another one that we didn't even talk about today, that volunteer work. Absolutely. I, they, they, they turned into jobs eventually, right? And they have full-time jobs, right? Um, I always had a great mentor of mine saying, look, if you want it enough, you'll volunteer and do it for free. That's exactly right. right. All right. And, and, and I'll tell you what, it, it, being a, a young coach, I coached a lot for free in my earlier years before I ever got paid for it. And that was invaluable, invaluable experience. So again, if you're transitioning out of the military, or somehow you're a high school or college graduate that stumbled across this show. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm going to say, you know, don't be afraid to volunteer. I got to make the money. You will. All right. It'll if you come. want something bad enough, you will volunteer or find yourself a job that will pay your bills that maybe you don't love. And your real job begins after yes. that when you're volunteering. Absolutely. All right. There's nothing wrong with working at a McDonald's if you can pursue your dream at night. Right. It's Absolutely. all work. Right. So I just wanted to say that now, uh, I do have to transition. We talked about your wife a lot in the show, uh, mm-hmm. Veronica. Uh, so I'm actually going to, we have a question here about her working together. I think we covered a lot of that. So I'm going to sure. transition this question to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of joked earlier in the episode about running a business being different. Um, like most relationships, and I think this is the most sacred with my wife and children. You know, we base our relationship on trust first and then really trying to have the best communication after that. Now, just mm-hmm. so the audience is aware Arguing with each other is a form of communication. It right? is. Um, and, and I always tell that to people because my wife and I are both Northeasterners. So we bicker a lot. Mm-hmm. And we've had people say, well, you guys bicker all the time. I said, yeah, but you know, we're communicating. We are, we are talking. It's just, that's just how people from New Jersey and Pennsylvania talk. <laughs> but yeah, I want to know, you know, when it comes to Veronica, you know, what mm-hmm. are the tips you can share with, with our audience um, whether they want to work with their spice, spouse, excuse me, spice would be a nice word too, whether mm-hmm. they want to work with their spouses or just the relationship transitioning out because it's a stressful time. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter whether you're the, the serving member or the spouse, what is your advice to the audience? What are the keys to you and Veronica that made that so special? It, it clearly is special from the way you talk about it. Well, no, it definitely takes a lot of work and uh, mentor. One thing we have is we have mentor, marriage mentor coaches. Right. Right. Where we match up older couples with younger couples. Love that. Right. And allow them to not tell your business, but just like, hey, I'm running into this situation. I'm thinking about saying this or doing this. And that wise mentor coach can say, well, leave you talk about her weight. Do you really think you're going to get the results that you're looking for? Is there another way you can talk about health? <laughs> right? right. And I want to be with you for a long time. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. I mean, just those mentor coaches can do that. But one thing I would also say, those of you that are great readers, there's a good book out there called The Good Fight, right? The Good Fight talks about exactly what you just said, Lee, about there's ways where you do go with your wife or your spouse, but you're not trying to win, right? You're, you're right. fighting for the marriage. It's a total different way of doing that. Um, so one of the things um, that we share is that, first of all, to make it work with your wife, you got to know each other's strengths. That's one of the big things. And basically, call it what you want, but basically do a SWOT analysis of your relationship. Seriously, it's that simple, 
Hey, for those of you are not familiar with the term SWAT, uh, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. It's a a way businesses tend to analyze other businesses um, for, for a competitive advantage. So strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. That's what SWAT stands for. Thank you for that, Howard. And please, our listeners, do not fill up the whole block of the threats. (laughs) <laughs> right, that is not the whole point. Dig a little bit deeper, you're going to find some more ways to fill out all those blocks, right? But really, once you recognize, right, what's my wife good at? What am I good at? What's my personality? What's hers? And then what you do is you make sure you tailor, whether it's your business, your nonprofit, right, your volunteer work, you just make sure that you use that approach right? And the way that you tackle things, all right? It doesn't have to be, sometimes, you know, couples are not, what we always say, there's no perfect marriage, but they're healthy marriages. Sometimes marriages aren't as healthy, it's because we're expecting them to do what we do or do it the way we would do it. Right. And I'm still guilty of that, right? Sometimes I just have to put it out there and say, hey, we need to get to X, Y, Z. I think we should do it this way, right? What's another way that you believe could work? And just inviting them into the discussion, especially if you're running your own business, right? Hey, we need to pick up some more clients. I'm thinking we should do this. What else do you think we can add to the list? And a lot of times it's just something as simple as inviting them, because that's the difference sometimes. When we're working with our spouses, we think that we're inviting them into the conversation. But if we really think about it, what we're really trying to do is get them to co-sign on what we've already decided. <laughs> That's a good way of looking at it. It's the truth. Right. But if we actually bring them to the table and no kidding, like we're going to put these five things out there and then let's really look at which ones have this marriage, which ones. And I always tell a lot of husbands too, right? It's like both of you have great ideas, right? Both of them can work. However, if you know that yours could work, all right, without a doubt, 100%, this could give us dividends in like a month. And then maybe, you know, there to give them dividends in maybe two or three months. What's the two or three months? Because what you don't want to do is you don't want to get to a point where you're making all the decisions. Right. And then when you really need them to help you, they're like, well, you already made the last 100. So why would you want my opinion 101? Right. Wives can be very historical. <laughs> it can be historical. And you think you've forgotten about that and we moved on. Uh, they're like elephants. They never oh, forget. Oh, no, they don't forget. Right. <laughs> so, again, we really have to want to bring their best to the table. And, and again, I always go back to when we got ready to retire. Right. Right. You know, all the sacrifices they made for you. You know, they were raising those kids while you were on deployment and doing all those walker trips and things like that. So this is, again, your time to reward them and say, I always said that you were the backbone, but now I need you to be even more upfront, right? I need you to be my rib. I need you to be side by side (laughs) because you bring value to this relationship, to this business, to this nonprofit, right? To this volunteer work. And and, and to your life, right? To each other's lives, right? I always say when, 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 when I talk about this with people that look, there's you, there's her in, in that, in a traditional sense. Mm-hmm. And then there's the, we, yes. And I said, you got to focus on the, we, if you're constantly focused on the, we things are going to be fine. If you focus on yourself or just your spouse, you're inviting uh, an imbalance to take place. 
right? Absolutely. And and you got to fight for that we. Um, so Darrell, before we move into the final question, um, mm-hmm. it's 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 not even a thing I do sometimes now. Every episode I've been creating book titles for our guests. I was okay. waiting for this one. So, so should should a should a book cover? If you ever needed a book title, I'm I'm going to suggest it for you. I won't take any royalties or anything like that if you want to use this. Okay. Uh, this this is the longest one I've come up with yet. Um, but your book title, sir, is "Calls from the River of Life: A Selfless Tale" by Darrell Williams. That's your book cover. Oh, very cool. Like it. Like yes, it's it. Jackson Hole. You know, calls from the wrist. I, I I was gonna do satellite calls from the river, but that was that was too much. Right, right. So, yeah. um, so the the final the final question we have, as we ask all of our guests, mm-hmm. um, pivotal moments seeks to strengthen mental fitness worldwide. That's why we're here. So, how do you personally define mental fitness? And please share the things that you do to strengthen your own mental fitness. Right. So definitely mental fitness is critical. I don't care what profession you're in, what you do. Um, You know, the way I look at mental fitness is, you know, that well-being, that state of being that allows you to accomplish what you were meant to do on this earth. Right. And you cannot do that without being the right frame of mind. And there's so many different things you can do. I think some of the challenges people don't do any. Right. And I always share with people, just pick whatever you like. Like for me, I love music, right? I just grew up, you know, you know, growing up in Compton, you know, there's a lot of, you know, rap music and things like that. But obviously I don't like some of those lyrics. Um, can't say anything. So for me, I got into gospel rap. So every morning, no matter what, even when I used to travel, Howie, uh, I bring something with me. I get up in the morning and I'm playing my gospel music, right? Because it's setting the tone for my day, hmm. right? Uh, I've, I've been doing that for years. It Good used to annoy you. my wife. It did. It, I'm not going to lie. It used to annoy her. I had to turn it down a little <laughs> bit. Right. Uh, but now she understands like he's not just doing this. This is how he preps his day every day. Right. Listen to gospel music. Um, another thing I do is um, I do reading. Like, so for me being more of a faith-based background, you know, I always try to find, um, some type of scripture or even just a motivational quote, right? Um, and I just read those in a day and I always look at it from a perspective of, okay, how does this apply to me, right? And if it's something positive, how can I exercise this in somebody's life today that I'm right. going to meet? That's beautiful. Right? So I just do those types of things because uh, you have to find out what works for you, right? Some people do you know, meditation, some people do yoga, and I always tell people, it doesn't matter what you do, but just do something because even if you don't think you're in a stressful situation or you have a stressful job, there's always some stress factors in life Absolutely. and you owe it to yourself to, you know, kind of do those checks. Another thing too, I recommend to people is, you know, grab you some accountability partners. And what I mean by that in the military, we call them battle buddies, right? You yep. can't do anything without those individuals, right? If you go into latrine, and you got a weapon, they better be holding your weapon while you're at the latrine, right? Get some accountability partners and you tell them specifically, hey, you know, I'm starting this podcast with Howie and it's going to allow me to do this, but I'm still running my business. I need you to check on me and ask me questions about when's the last time I went out with my wife? When's the last time I did something with my kids? When's the last time I did something that didn't involve Howie or the business or even my family? Right. 
make sure you're very intentional about what you want that accountability person to do in your life. That's a great suggestion. Oh man. It's, 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 it's helped me um, a lot because I have, you know, I mean, I'm greedy, right? Howie. So I have different accountability for different parts of my life. Right. And they all serve that same purpose, which is, Hey, I'm supposed to check up on you right about now. I forgot I was supposed to ask you, but how's your wife? They just know because I do the same thing with them. Right. Hey, I don't need anything. I'm not looking for a job. How are you? How are your family? Right. right? What's the stressors that you got going? And then we're just able to talk those things out. And, and greedy is not the word I would use to describe you, but I appreciate that you said that. You, you know, another thing about the stigma of mental health, which is something mm-hmm. else we discuss here, is two things, right? The first step is typically the hardest step to yes. get into it. And then making it a habit may be the second challenge. Yeah. But I think another thing you reminded me of the real, this whole episode um, is that I think there is a stigma and a mistake that people think, well, I'll get the mental health when I need it. Oh, when things yes. get bad. When my marriage yes. gets bad, that's yes. when I need to go see a therapist. Yes, that's, it's actually not true, right? Not. Successful couples see marriage therapists. You, you said that. And mm-hmm. people that are high performers, in fact, the highest performers I know seek out people to help them with this, right? Absolutely. Uh, we joked earlier that Howie's the gold standard, you know, and, and joking aside, Howie, you platinum, are always- Platinum now, platinum. Uh, yes, <laughs> I'm the, uh, you know, I'm going to be the vibranium standard if you keep this up. <laughs> there you uh, go. So so there's nothing above that. Maybe adamantium, uh, that's a whole other side of my life. But my point right. is this, is, is you know, um, look, we've all heard that you are who you surround yourself with, True. right? Howie is a mentor to me. He is always looking for the next, you know, thing to go towards to help boost his mental health, to help boost mm-hmm. his performance. Um, you know, it's something I've adopted as well. And, you know, Howie, maybe I've never told you that, you know, you really inspired me to jump into that even more than I ever had. Oh, that's good. But wow. It's one of those things of, you know, you, you don't wait till things are bad. You want to do mm. it at any time, at any time. If things are bad, obviously it's not the wrong time, but you know, you look at the highest performing companies, you look at the U S military. This is something I always talk about, right? When I work mm-hmm. with companies to build teams or teams to build teams, I always use the military as an example. Yes. They practice teamwork more than they work. Yes, we right? do. And they're the best team on the planet. Why do you think they're the best team on the planet? Because they practice teamwork 24-7. It doesn't stop. They don't mm-hmm. wait for their organization to go down the toilet no. before they practice it. It's too late at that point. So anyway, right. I, I'm, I'm not trying to take away the thunder from, from your final answer. I just No, you're right. I, I you're just right. remembered that. Yeah, please go ahead. Please go ahead. No, no, that was it. You're right. We yeah. have to make sure that we put things in place, like you said, as a contingency. Right. Uh, I always tell people all the time, you know, it's like, you know, why do you think whenever there's something crazy going on in the world and, you know, obviously in a perfect world, you know, we definitely can call the Avengers, right? But in a <laughs> normal world, we call the military. Right. Because we just figure, I don't know if they can handle it or not, but I just believe based on their previous success, they will find a way to handle it. Right. Every situation that's happened in this world, right? Somehow you will find they brought in the military, even with COVID. They found a way to bring in the military because they know they do something that will help them with this. Goes back to what you said, Lee. What do we do? We train and we build contingencies. Right. And we work across the lines with everybody. All those three things are something that we can all adapt personally when it comes to our mental health. I totally agree. I think that's a 
great way to end this episode. Howie, I always like to give you the last word just in case. Well, hey, listen, I, I just want to say how much I appreciate you taking the time to be with us, Darrell. I, I was so looking forward to this episode. Um, you know, I had the privilege to work with you multiple times throughout my military and my after military career. Um, I have so much and, and the deepest respect and admiration for you as a person, as a professional. Um, I know you care deeply for others and you're, you're absolutely dedicated and your wife are dedicated to helping others be the best they can be. And uh, I think there's tremendous value that you've offered here today to the men and women who are, are, are getting ready uh, to transition. And uh, I just hope they, uh, they, they take the time to, to listen to what you have to offer. And listen, I'm going to say this on camera. Um, I would love for you to, I know you got a lot of things that you're involved in, and uh, I certainly understand that you may not have the bandwidth for it, but I would, I would absolutely appreciate if you would consider being not only an ambassador to the Charlie Mike channel and what we're trying to do, but actually an advisor to the sure. Charlie Mike channel and what we're trying to do. And if something like that would interest you, I'm happy to have conversations with you afterwards because I think we can benefit as an organization to have someone of your quality and your experience and your absolute caring uh, as part of part of this team. So, but thank you. Um, um, and again, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. No, I've enjoyed it. Trust me, I was feeling the same way. Um, my wife always asked, like, when did I say you talked to Colonel Cohen? I was like, oh, you mean Howie? <laughs> uh, we chatted every now and then, you know, and we do this because she knows I'm, I'm, I'm always a, that relationship person. So trust me, when I knew that you had this going on, whatever I could do, definitely want to be a part of it. And then lead, you know, right up on your information. And then I was, when I saw your wife's interview, I was like, oh man, I already know this guy's quality because his, his <laughs> wife is just outstanding. Oh my God. So what she you is. guys are she doing, uh, it's great. It's needed. Just want to let you guys know, I did a um, show last week for National Lewis University for their veterans thing. And I told them, hey, if you're having a problem creating content, right? You need to reach out to the Charlie Mike guy. They may have enough content that you can just take their link and put it on yours for your veterans because the information that they're putting out there is timeless. Hey, listen, uh, Darrell, uh, one of my strategic goals for Charlie Mike is to actually create relationships with educational and, and medical facilities, right? So mm -hmm. if you are willing to create, you know, to refer me to a point of contact sure, here, absolutely. I am absolutely uh, happy to have a conversation with anyone there. And hey, look, to me, it's about creating strategic partnerships, absolutely. right? How can we help each other towards this common goal and create a win-win for whoever it is. So I would absolutely love to have a conversation with Aaron. And if there's something we can do that adds value to what they're doing, I'm all for that, man. Perfect. I'll send you their information uh, definitely cool. Um, tonight. Cool. Awesome. Thank you, man. Darrell, sir, it's been a pleasure for our listening audience. Thank you for sitting through this. If you made it through this episode, which I'm sure you did, you're seeing the value. So I want to let you all know you've been listening to Life After the Military, which is powered by the nonprofit Pivotal Moments. You can learn more about that organization at pivotalmoments.org. We got a ton of inspirational content, education, or you can donate. As Howie said, we're trying to be a resource for everyone. For Darrell Williams and Howie Cohen, I'm Lee Elias. Thank you so much for joining us and make sure to keep an eye out for more episodes soon, wherever podcasts can be heard. We are everywhere. Thanks so much for listening and we will see you next time on Life After the Military. Take care, everybody.